0: Hello and welcome to episode 101 of Cybersecurity Interviews. In this episode, we're speaking with Brandon Hoffman. Brandon is the CISO and Head of Security Strategy at NetEnrich. Brandon is an admired security executive responsible for NetEnrich's technical sales and security strategy for both the company and its customers. Most recently, he oversaw solution architecture for Intel's 471, dark web's threat intelligence business. As a former CTO at Lumeta Corporation and Red Seal Networks, Brandon led technical and field development in network security, vulnerability and risk. He's also held key practitioner roles focused in security architecture, penetration testing, networking and data center operation. Brandon holds an MS degree from Northwestern University and a bachelor's degree from the University of Illinois at Chicago. In this episode, we discuss adapting to COVID, accidentally getting into security, designing the intelligent SOC, a risk-based approach to information security, measuring cybersecurity outcomes, cyber insurance, Risk management frameworks and so much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for listening. All right, Brandon, thanks for joining me on Cybersecurity Interviews. How are you today? Great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Whereabouts are you? Uh, are you located? So right now I'm in Chicago,
1: and um, it's colder and rainier than I expected it to be right now. But uh,
0: yeah, how about yourself? Yeah, in Boulder, and the same thing. We're actually getting a little bit of snow. We've been suffering through wildfires. 10 miles from my house. So, I'm very happy to actually see the cold at this point. Um because it's just another one of those things of 2020, but how how have you been surviving? You know, I think what what we can all agree is a, is a, so far been a pretty crazy year. Yeah,
1: it's been a been lots of ups and downs, you know, and every, a lot of people um I don't know, I feel like uh, for everybody, maybe I'm wrong, um there's been a lots of downs, but there's been lots of ups too. It's been kind of a more of a roller coaster of a year than just, you know, uh straight misery,
0: but I think Um, I think there's been a lot of good sprinkled in there. I think so too. Yeah. And I think it was just recording with somebody else. And I said, you know, it's, it's almost weird. when you're in cybersecurity for long enough, you're kind of used to one crisis after another. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you tend to tend to roll with the punches a little bit. Have you found that to be kind of part of your DNA as well? It's just like, okay, I can roll with this.
1: Yeah. That's the funny thing is like, we're all crisis agnostic. You know, we, you know, um, it, it's funny too, in my personal life, it's like, the biggest problem could happen like my house could catch on fire and I'd be like, eh, it's no big deal. But if I get on the highway and it's like bumper to bumper traffic, I'm like, come on. You know, it's like, cause it's, and maybe that's part of the cybersecurity thing too. It's like the small thing that frustrates you. Like your log source stops talking and you're completely frustrated, but you know, there's a active breach and you're like, yeah, we'll get it under control.
0: You know? (laughs) So how did you, uh, how did you enter your journey into cybersecurity?
1: Um, well, I've been in uh, tech for a little bit over 20 years, and I think that my security story is probably similar to everybody who started, you know, somewhere around 20 plus years ago, which is, you know, I was a, a, a traditional IT guy, I did network, I did desktop, I did data center, I did storage. And then back then, once you've done all those things, everybody's like, well, what do you do now? Well. I guess we'll just do security because that touches everything and nobody really knows what it means, but we got to kind of start figuring it out. Um, And so I feel like that's kind of where security came from. It was a combination between what's a discipline that touches all these, makes things secure, and we like to tinker and break things. And then boom, security showed up.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I mean, my my journey was very similar too. And it's like, well, and it's still, when you met, kind of mentor and help people today, it's like, well, how how do you get into this? I was like, I don't know how I got into it. It just I, I'm yeah. standing here. I think I, I fixed a printer one time um, by accident, and I just figured out how to change the toner. Now I'm doing security. I mean, that's really it's almost this this happenstance. It's very hard to find this um, prescriptive plan to go from point A to B to C, and you're getting, you're in cybersecurity. Absolutely, that's it. I can't really describe it myself. Your story
1: about fixing the printer and falling in. I mean, that's kind of it too. I did a bunch of remote broadcast stuff, then I did IT, and then I just kind of showed up here. And one of the things—not to go topical—but you know, one of the things that people are always talking about lately, we've talked about for a long time, is skills gaps, right? Shortages of people in security. And I have younger people come to me saying, "Well, what should I do? Well, what cert should I get? You know, what should I study?" And, and I'm kind of like. I want to give you really good advice and I'll do my best,
0: but I don't, you know, I don't know. (laughs) You know, with that too, do do you, what what are some of the advice that you give them as far as some of the other skills that might not be technical skills that they should focus on? I mean, I think, you know, it's
1: yes, the technical skills are important. I think it's interesting. You know, I think certificates have value to a point. Um, But I think really it's about um, leveraging, you know, the people that, you know, it's always about your network um it's about paying it forward you know so uh finding opportunities for people who have helped you trying to be helpful taking a positive attitude you know all those soft skills um learning how to be on time right if you're if that's not in your nature um all those kind of soft skills i think are critical to success in any in any discipline including security right
0: has there? Has, I guess what would be? I guess what's your superpower when it comes to soft skills? Like, what do, what do you feel that you know outside of your, uh, your your kind of tech skills that helps you navigate cybersecurity on the other side? Um,
1: I think that. Um, I guess I would say I'm affable as a good term to not. You know, I mean, I, I get along quite well with with most people. <laughs> you know, um, I'm a friendly friendly guy. Um, I can kind of, uh, fit into any kind of situation if it's a deeply technical situation or if it's just, you know, a leisure situation. Um, I would say that, I don't know that that's a superpower, uh, per se. Um, I like to refer to myself as a time, as a time ninja, (laughs) um, which, you know, doesn't really mean anything other than the fact that I'm really good, um, at, you know, slicing things down into bite-sized chunks of time and getting them done, uh, fast. So maybe that's a superpower.
0: How, how about yourself yeah I think along some of those lines is this is the communications it, it's like how can you take how, how, where, where can you make less <clears throat> more um and, and take something that's distilled down of a complex complex issue into two sentences and that's you know it, 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 it takes a lot of practice sometimes um because you know you have to it's, it's understanding your audience I think a lot of times in, in security people want to think um oh, I might be talking right. to another tech person. I'm like probably not. You could be talking to a board member. Could be talking to an attorney. Could be talking to law enforcement. You've got a lot of people that will have no idea where you're coming from. So you kind of you have you don't bury the lead and get it out there right right away what you're getting at and be clear.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's that's a good point. That's super important in security, right? Because we could all go down the rabbit hole pretty quick.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I could sit there and talk about unique malware forever and pr- probably pretty pretty much put my family to sleep at dinner talking about it. But to me, it's interesting, <laughs> but doesn't mean anybody else cares.
1: <laughs> I might hire you to come over and put my family to but,
0: sleep. Yeah. So what what are some of the problems that you're working on these days uh, in cybers?
1: Um. Yeah, so, you know, kind of two different fronts. One is internally uh, at the company. Uh, I think it's something that everybody's dealing with, which is, kind of a new uh, architecture, you know, obviously people have always been remote to a degree, but the, the notion of permanence or semi-permanence there um, is something that uh, has forced me and many others, I would assume uh, to do a more rapid adoption of an architecture that they potentially were thinking about, but weren't planning to implement so fast. And then all the security implications of doing that faster than you expected to, uh, you know, so turning out new applications, it has an application security impact. Having people be remote changes the way obviously everybody's connecting and how we secure that. Um, and how do we do it in a way that is not just for the next 30 days or 90 days is how do we meaningfully secure it? What technologies, you know, are we going to bet on, um, and how do we secure those? I think is a huge thing. You know, it's a huge challenge for all of us. Right. Um, so, what does that distill down into? It distills into, you know, looking at remote technologies, uh, looking at things like federated identity, you know, which has been going on for a long time, but now it's even more important because of the, you know, all the different ways people are going to be connecting to different things. Um, and again, you know, application security is a big thing. And then on the other side, talking to customers and clients and partners um, of our business, you know, it's how do people solve their problems and align security to business outcomes and only consume things from from vendors and partners and service delivery that are actually, you know, it's all they need right now, you know, doing that assessment and saying okay, <clears throat> from a security maturity perspective or on my security journey whatever you want to say, this is, you know, this is where I'm at, you know, accepting that, knowing that and knowing that you don't need Uh, the fanciest thing, maybe the hot thing, although it's, you know, it's sexy and it's glittery and I want to try it because, you know, because I'm a geek at heart and I want to try the cool thing, uh, but I don't need it right now. I need to do some more foundational stuff, you know, understanding that, helping them understand that and helping uh, solve those problems directly and aligning them to business outcomes uh, to help IT and specifically security be less of just a cost center and more of a business enabler. I know that's something we've all talked about for a long time, kind of a difficult topic, but those are the two kind of main branches of things I'm working on.
0: Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that. I think <clears throat> it's this, you know, we've been saying back to basics for years, even when there was before crisis, but I mean, I think it's even more, more important now. It's like, what, what does your inventory look like? How are you can operationalize uh, security to business outcomes in a huge curveball, so it's not necessarily going out and getting the next new thing. It's uh, it's like really kind of focusing on on your ground game and making sure it's 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 going well. And I think organizations are kind of hopeful that they can go buy themselves out of this this new paradigm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it, and that's
1: exactly it. And it's funny because being around for so long, like you and I both have, it, it's it's like I've been talking about the same thing for so long, I would have, I felt like it would have been solved by now, but I think as opposed to taking a jaded perspective, you kind of have to take the perspective of that. um, It's an ongoing problem. You're never going to solve it, right? That's the thing with security. That's the epiphany that you eventually have is that you're never done, right? Even if you think you have a great program around asset management, which is like the most basic foundational thing you can do, right? It's never done. You're not done because then you move something to the cloud or then you spin up a new data center or you merge with another company. It's never done,
0: right? <laughs> well, it's funny too. I think for for the last couple of years too, there's obviously been a big focus on the endpoints and endpoint security. And I think I might've helped organizations deprioritize that around just general good infrastructure and active directory stuff. And now if all of a sudden it's like, yeah, forget everything I said. Now, yes, focus hundred percent on the endpointing. But they're like, it's, it's that tough thing of like what matters six months ago, might not matter six months from now, but it matters today. And you just have to have that adaptability and flexibility constantly uh, just to adjust to things.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, security is cyclical and it, and there's no end, right? So what's old is new again. That's, it's our industry has proven that it's gonna do that over and over again, right?
0: Constantly. So what what are some of the things that, that the team is kind of working on? Or what's, I guess, what's the direction of things that you're pushing forward with, uh, net and rich.
1: Um, yeah. <clears throat> so one of the things that, that, you know, we're working on, I, I assume you mean towards, do you mean like more towards like the customer partner side of thing?
0: Yeah. yeah, Just more like what's, yeah. You know, what, what do you guys do essentially?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, so we all, I mean, traditionally net and rich was, a uh, a master MSP. So before anybody was doing security services, they were doing traditional, you know, knock services and IT ops management stuff like that. They started doing security about ten or ten or twelve years ago, um, and throughout that time, they've been servicing a lot of customers, doing managed services for security. And the the analysts that were doing the work, they started codifying, you know, all their knowledge into these platforms. And so what ended up happening is they started building their own kind of tools. <clears throat> And also building really highly integrated products um, with best of breed uh, tools out, out there and stuff like that. And, and and so what happens is now where we're at is we have different components of basically what I would call SOC as a service. Um, and what we're calling it when we talk to people is Intelligent SOC. Why are we calling it Intelligent SOC? We call it Intelligent SOC because it has a lot of elements that traditional SOC doesn't have. Um, so it goes beyond, you know, Um, just the SIM and threat intelligence and, you know, telemetry from the network and some endpoint logs, right? But taking it beyond that and layering in other things that are important for a security operations team to have, um, but haven't traditionally been part of a package, right? Things like attack surface, uh, things like breach and attack simulation or uh, dark web uh, analytics. You know, obviously people have had, and I don't like that term dark web so much, but closed source. Uh, indicators and stuff coming in artifacts but uh, only the biggest of the big usually you know have a team that can do some some analysis on 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 closed source threat intelligence right and what does it mean to the company so what we're working on is is this notion of intelligence sock and it's not a product per se right it's more of just a theory um and putting all these things together in kind of a matrix of delivery a mix between people and sassified products that people across all different tiers of the market could just consume as they need so maybe you're really early in your journey and you say we're thinking about doing a sim because we don't have one but it costs a fortune and i have to hire these people and it's really difficult to get working okay so maybe you just need to manage sim right or maybe you have your sim and your security operations is ticking Um, And everything's moving along and you're not happy with the way EDR is working for you. So you want somebody to manage an EDR deployment for you and get that, get that endpoint telemetry in and create threat models around it to make it meaningful data. Um, Maybe you need just something like that, or, Hey, maybe you just need something like attack surface to tell you, you know, from the outside in, what does your organization look like? Find your assets, you know, foundational stuff, like we were talking about, tell me where the risk is and pair that up with what the SOC is telling me, you know, so the notion really to make it shorter, I'm sorry I didn't mean to go on for so long, is you know, to put these, you know, all these different pieces that are core to security operations together in um in a in a full kind of SASIFI and human-driven combination, you know, this package of products and, and, and services that people can consume as they need uh, without forcing them to buy some monolithic stack of of solutions. And really helping them align that to what does their business need? Do they need do they need to increase profitability? Of course they do. So they need to reduce costs, or maybe they're really worried about brand protection because they have some issue on social media or whatever the case might be. You know, what is the business outcome? Not hey, I reduced your mean time to resolution and I reduced your cost by thirty percent. Those are important metrics, right? They are. Um, but again, the, the technical metrics, you know, aligning those to the business metrics. That's you know one of the things that we're working on.
0: Yeah, I always when uh, when I, when I <clears throat> work with organizations, I've been doing this for years. It's, uh, I'll go in and say, "Well, how do you, how do you guys keep the lights on?" And they're like, well, "Well," and then they start talking about the tech. I'm like, "I don't know. No, really yeah. What's the revenue? What are your your keys?" Uh, you know, systems that generate revenue. How do we protect those? And it's funny, it's almost this cathartic process at times because organizations sometimes don't want to talk about those key systems because maybe they're messy and they don't know enough about it. And one org I do had a web application and it took me, you know, I was kind of serving as virtual c System, It took me about a year to get them to really address the single most important application in the whole organization was this web app that we, they kept kicking the can down the road about me addressing. Um, and I said, well, how long can it be down?" They're like, no more in a couple hours. I'm like, okay, maybe that's where our effort should be focused, but it's this whole idea of just, you know, it's just that, this one size fits all security. You know, we just don't follow this CSF framework and yeah, hey, you just do that. You're good. It's, it really has to be kind of bespoke to your, your individual business needs.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's, that's what all of us talk about when we say a risk-based approach um, and not to go off on a, t- a tangent, but you know, yes, we certainly mean things like governance and compliance. Yes, we mean those things. But what we really mean is exactly what you talked about is what is it that you cannot live without, right? Certainly somebody is a remote worker's laptop where their credentials get taken. Yes, that's important, but is that gonna bring the whole business to a screeching halt? No, it's not, right? So,
0: yeah, it's like, it's like when, when you know, and you sit there, you run vulnerability scans, like, well, Nessus has this, this one thing is a critical, what is it? Well, it's this segmented printer. I'm like, okay, I don't, we're not going to put a lot of effort into that right now. I don't care if it's <laughs> It's like, what, yeah. your exchange server is like three patches behind on, on something that could take out your entire organization. Focus there. Yeah. So how, how do you, you know, how do you kind of break through the the psychological barriers with folks on that to get them to really, focus on what they need and not kind of do that cognitive bias of bike, bike shedding on things that don't matter.
1: Yeah, that's a really tough one. Um, I'd love to hear some of your theory about it too. But, you know, I think I try to, I use a lot of analogies, um, you know, and I try to explain things in more layman's terms. I think, you know, as you alluded to earlier in, in our chat. Um, but you know, I, again, it's 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 really about, you um, explaining why i think it's being verbose about why something matters in non-technical terms to help break down that barrier right Uh, when you're talking to somebody and you say well i you know even when you talk about traditional project management even not related to security right it's like well i deprioritize that task and prioritize this one because you know this one is the most critical thing right it's like you said it's it's Uh, identifying the ones that is most important and explaining why, you know, almost like a mechanic would, you know, yes, you have to change your tires, but you know, the gasket on your engine is about to go. So, you know, you have 150 bucks. What are you going to spend it on? Right. Tires or your engine? Well, you know, and, 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 you know, inevitably there's going to be somebody who argues for the tire because you need the tire to go and to stop. And I get that. Right. But
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's where you have to be careful. Is it's in its, you, I think a lot of the ways that we might have done it for traditionally over the last, you know, well, I would say it was even ten years ago was, you know, a lot of that fear uncertainty, and certainty of doubt, or you know, just fud it out so people get so scared. But then it be, either become desensitized or they don't see the value of it if they rush to spend on things, um, and it yeah. goes to this thing about this return on investment. How do you? frame those discussions about you know you're going to you're going to spend a dollar what do you get out of it <laughs> you know how do you help organizations navigate that because often it's probably technical people that you have to speak to that then have to go get the budget so enabling them to get the funds they need to spend to reduce their risk profile
1: yeah well you're putting the screws to me now right i mean ro roi and security that's the magic bullet right i mean it's 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 like insurance uh how do you know it's worth unless you have an incident, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it, that's one of the things is that I, I don't I don't buy into the fear, fear uncertainty and doubt model. Um, it sounds like you probably don't don't either. I mean, we all uh, took a pass at it, you know, way back in the day, and didn't didn't work out so well. Um, but I think it's it's about um, you know once you've done your diligence and you've assessed critical systems and the impact that they can have to the business. So if you say, hey, this machine's down, it runs this part of the business. If that's down, we're gonna lose a million dollars uh, a day, just say, right? And um, if we put this control, there's, you know, and be realistic, right? There's a there's a 60% chance that it'll be protected hundred percent of the time, right? So, okay, so what are, what are the numbers when you run it back? Well, you know, you're gonna spend $150,000 on this tool. Uh, it'll probably spare you, you know, save you whatever, you know, from losing Five million dollars over the course of five days—that's an easy one. That's a no-brainer. Obviously, I'm making it up, um, but doing those types of of analysis, relating it directly to the business and how the business runs, I think is the only way that you can get measurable ROI. And the challenge is that um, it's a um, it's a it's a thesis, right? Because you hope it never happens. Um, but you know, some of the things, like one of the things that I was just talking about, like a tax service. You know, any of the security tools that can measure, um, you know, measure risk, measure things in a meaningful way, uh, not things that have happened, meaning I had 10,000 incidents. Okay, great. That's not, that's not what I mean by measure. Meaning like before you had 5,000 services exposed to the internet, you know, and now you have a thousand. So whatever you did in that time period in between, whatever you invested in controls or people where you went from 5,000 to 1,000, that meaningfully reduced risk in your organization in a measurable way. So whatever action you took in that period, right? You got ROI from that action or whatever that investment was. And those are the types of things that I think are, are super valuable in our industry.
0: Yeah. It's almost sometimes you have to frame it like well, how much are you willing to lose and, and people are like, well, I don't want to lose anything. Well it's like, all got gonna make it's a little bit of Sophie's choice here. you are got to make a choice on something. <laughs> and really Definitely. kind of framing it, it's not how much you want to spend, but how much you want to it, I, I found sometimes that get some reframing it that way gets them at least thinking about ways that um puts it more again, it's more in that business terms. It's 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 a it's a difficult thing, I think, because so many people out of tech don't have the, or not at least they they might have the business acumen, but they might not be you know, it's not part of our, our talk tracks and training. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, I'm interested since you brought it up, you know, I have this
1: thought around, you know, the cyber insurance industry, mm-hmm. right? Since we're kind of going in, <laughs> in that direction, right? I, I mean, I think it's great. I think it's, you know, I think it's good. The thing that scares me about it though, is that it creates complacency potentially, right? Yeah. And 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 that's the thing that I think is, and I'm interested in your thoughts, of course, um, you know, it's like if i you know, it's like buying car insurance. So you're not going to maintain your car or wear your seatbelt. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, you should still do these things. Um, the thing that worries me is that, like I said, people buy cyber insurance policies, then they're complacent. And they said, well, we checked all the boxes in governance. So that's it. We're good to go. And it's like, well, not really, you know?
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I, I highly encourage people to get cyber insurance, um, you know, the benefits of it, it. It should be looked at as you kind of get a, you know, a team of things when, when an incident happens. But it yeah, should not be abdication for good security and good cyber hygiene. And it, that does kind of worry me when I'm like, man, I do want to encourage people to get this, but I hope they don't see this as some, some – safety net i mean or more than a safety net i mean that's all it really is but it's not going to stop the fall so you need to uh continue to build that it's just risk transference um but yep. it, it, it's but it, there's definitely that psychological aspect i think where people feel like okay i got that covered and yeah they check off that box It's like that that's the worst case scenario is you still need to focus on the basics
1: yeah that's exactly it you you summarize better than i could is like look i'm never gonna i'm not gonna drive around without insurance i'm gonna have it i think there's a tons of value to having it there's tons of benefits just like cyber but still like you said you you still got to do your stuff you do your foundations
0: (laughs) yeah yeah it's not like uh i'm gonna get house insurance and start deep frying uh turdurkins in my garage and say, ah, it doesn't matter if it burns down. I got shirts. It's like, no, it doesn't doesn't quite work that way. You still have have to manage the risk and probably still not do risky things. (laughs) And that's the hard thing, right? It's just like people, people want to do risk and think, okay, what's the way I can, I can hedge this the best that I can still get the most fun out of things or spend the least or whatever it is that gets the most out of it. And it's like, what's the risk reward. And it's, it's a, it's a hard thing for people to frame because I don't think individuals are very good at self-assessing risk and then when you make them go through the exercise they go wow I'm way less risk tolerant than I thought i was and it's it's forcing organizations to do that in the same thing is, how much risk are you willing to accept and most organizations are not that risk risky they're more way more risk adverse than they'll admit
1: oh yeah absolutely 100 percent.
0: you're right people are
1: people are bad at self-assessment and i think most most humans are bad at risk assessment which is why we you know, which is why we need a framework to help us, and it's also why we jump off mountains with you know pieces of cloth attached to backpacks and things like that. You know, because we're bad at risk assessment. Yeah. So
0: well, when we talk about frameworks and compliance, I mean, do you think things like that help? I mean, we we always had ISO and NIST 800, and now there's NIST CSF. And there's these different you know frameworks. Where, where do you see the value in those for organizations? I mean, I think it's
1: value, There's tons of value in them as a guiding principle, right? To, you know, nobody knows it all. That's, you got to admit, right? Like, no, it doesn't matter who you are, you don't know everything. Um, you're going to drop some things, you're going to forget about stuff. And so, having a framework, you know, as a guiding reference to make sure you've got the bases covered, to keep you on track, to have you think about, um, you know, controls that you hadn't considered. Um, you know, all of us kind of the way we came up into security, we have our own techniques and our own you know, proclivities and specialties or whatever you want to call it, right? Like I myself, I'm a a much more tactical uh, CISO than I am um, a governance CISO per se, right? So, you know, everybody's, like I said, everybody kind of goes their own way. So because I'm tactical, I like to spin up a project around something that's going to tackle a specific technical challenge or hurdle from a security perspective inside the organization. Now, um, aligning that back to controls in a framework if there wasn't a framework of controls to map what I'm doing to, I'm sure I would miss tons of stuff, right? I would just miss it because I'd be like, okay, we did identity, you know, let's move on to whatever the next thing is, DLP, for example, right? But, you know, what do those controls satisfy um, from, a, from a legal perspective, a compliance perspective, right? I'm, I mean, it's super valuable for somebody like me to have because I need that frame of reference
0: yeah it, it's I think it's it's good when you kind of almost see it visually laid out to say oh yeah I didn't even you know this is there's a blind spot and you really almost need that um, <laughs> just literally like laid out in a list and it doesn't have to be just complete checkbox compliance but it's it's helpful to to look at all these things um and, and you know I think it's it's important, though, what I try to – I'm kind of curious your point. is like where, where, do you, where do you encourage people then to go into that maturity of it? You know, it's not – I don't think these frameworks should be looked at as, oh, you need to be 100% perfect. I mean, there's just no such thing. It's where do you, where do you get people to the comfort level that they're feeling that they're doing the right amount of things um, in the right order and getting to the, that, uh, that healthy level of risk management?
1: Yeah, you're right. There's no hundred percent. That's another one of the core tenets of security, right? It never ends, and there's no hundred um, percent. And that's the same thing is true with that compliance. I think, again, you know, really, you got to take a risk-based approach and be realistic about um, how much risk you can tolerate, because that those frameworks really are for designing risk tolerance. I think in the end, because you have to accept that. You don't have the people, you don't have unlimited resources, right? To accomplish all these. So you look at like ISO, it's massive. It's great. Don't get me wrong, but it's huge. You know, to believe that you're ever going to cover off the entire control space that exists in ISO is a pipe dream, right? And so you have to say, what's important to my business? And you have to order it. You know, this is from, from, from one to five, what's the most important things to my business? You map those from a risk perspective to the control space. And, you know, five is the riskiest. You know, if you get from, you know, if you cover everything in five and four, man, you're doing really good. If you cover everything in three, really doing awesome. If you cover things in two, amazing, probably not going to get to one, right. Um, Because it's just, we're going to run out of time. And the technology you have to buy, the people you have to have to get it all done, I think is unrealistic. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to beg off the answer, right. But it's, it's 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 really that's the way i think it should be done is you look at your business like we talked about earlier what's the riskiest stuff what are the things we can and can't tolerate you map that risk to the control space that exists and where you can reasonably make a difference with the people you have and the budget that you have um, and the tools that exist and you just go take the biggest bites as you can every round you can right
0: and and with that too you know we've certainly seen this rise and it's It's a certain degree is a buzzword, but, you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence, where do you see those kind of playing in the space to actually add value to security operations?
1: I mean, I think there's huge value in that, right? But I think that some people are viewing it as like the answer. There is is no the answer, right? I mean, machine learning will augment um, what you're doing, you know, algorithmically to make things more efficient. Um, AI, AI, AI ops, right, if you want to call it that, um, is really good at putting extra bits together, creating context, doing correlation in a more meaningful way than the rudimentary technology we had 15 years ago would do it. Um, But it's not going to solve the problem for you, um, just like a hammer is not going to knock a nail in by itself. You got to wield it correctly um, and apply it meaningfully to the data that you have. Um, otherwise, actually could do more damage than it could do more harm than, than good, right? Because uh, if, you ha- if you spend a lot of time on things like AI and machine learning and you're applying it to incorrectly or to the wrong data set or in the wrong way, you're going to end up not only just with a bunch of false positives, but also burning away hours and hours and hours of resource time that could have been spent meaningfully solving a problem. So I think there's a little bit of risk there.
0: Yeah, definitely, you know, data scientists are not cheap and, you know, getting somebody in there, train the data, learn it, and then apply, like you really have to have, you know, it's garbage in, garbage out. If you don't have clean information coming in and it just goes back to good old security operations, like is your log sources good, are they clean? Well, same thing with AI, is is the data going in, (laughs) normalized in a way are the models built, that's going to give you a gain, or is it just going to make things exponentially worse?
1: Yeah, that's exactly it, right? It's like, hey, I have this fabulous brand new Ferrari and I'm going to drive it down, you know, a Chicago street after a snowstorm and it's been plowed and it's filled with potholes. Mm, probably not the best choice, right? I mean, <laughs> you got I,
0: I, I use that analogy quite a bit with with a lot of the the advanced automation tools and things like that. I'm like, what you want is a very high-end car, but you're a teenage driver. You're going yeah. to wrap this thing around a telephone pole and kill yourself and whoever's the passenger in your car. <laughs> So, oh, that? you know, it's, it's like really getting people to step back and, and kind of have that honest assessment of where they are in their security journey and what they want to build as operations. Because, yeah, there, there's <laughs> there's those those Shangri-La states that we all want to get to. But the reality is I think most organizations are, are much further behind the curve than they think.
1: Or willing to admit.
0: Yeah, it's the <laughs> it's a self-assessment and honesty and, and getting, getting maybe outside voices to kind of uh, help give you – some clarity. And and so I'm sure in your journey too, you know, when it comes to kind of mentors and and folks that have helped kind of guide you, who who are some of the folks that you think of that say, gosh, I'm glad that person was a sounding board and kind of steered me out of my own BS.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say that there's necessarily like some big iconic figure, you know, um, that did that. But yeah, I mean, they certainly have a web of trusted people that we all do. Right. And it's kind of like, you know, where this podcast came from, like we're at events or we're working together, or we're, you know, just, uh, networking in our industry. And there's people that you just, uh, you know, they resound well with you, you know, over time and you keep going back to those same people and they might ask you questions and you help them and they, and they help you. And I would say that, you know, all of us have kind of a network of, you know, three to three to five, maybe a couple more, but really probably if I'm being honest, three to five people that really have made a meaningful impact, not just on the way that I think about security and solving the problem, but also, you know, just the industry at large and helping each other succeed. Right.
0: You know, yeah, it's such a, you know, the one thing that I tell people as the, inter- the industry is like give to get, find something to research, promote. There's, we, there's so much still out there to be discovered. Um, and don't think they're on the, the fringe engines of the universe. They could be right in front of us all. Um, it just takes, sometimes takes a fresh approach, but it's really getting out there, connecting with others. It's such a, to me, it's again, why I do the podcast, such an important part of the industry is, is not just threat intel sharing, but mind space sharing, you know, really kind of getting out there and say, yeah, you know, I'm seeing the same problem.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, going full circle to our conversation, what's the hardest part about this year is the lack of that. Yeah. I,
0: I've said that over and over. It's like, gosh, if I just had, and working with a couple of customers, I'm like, man, if I just had just like four different divisions, it's like, they all work in the same office, but I'm doing different zoom calls with them. If I got them all in the same room around a table and we had to come to Jesus about this, we'd solve the problem. But it's, it delays things by months because you just can't have that, that social aspect of getting people to, you know, read people and, and kind of hammer things out in person.
1: Oh Yeah. Absolutely. And even like, you know, the events that the industry always has that, you know, people always, uh, you know, depending on the side of the table you're sitting on at that moment, you either look really forward to an event or you scoff at it and think it's a tight, gigantic waste of time. Right. Um, but at this point in time, I can reasonably say I think that everybody in our industry, probably every industry is like, oh, man, if there's a trade show I could go to that would be safe. <laughs> Um, I would pay 10 grand to walk in that door, right? <laughs> in a minute, drop of a hat. For sure, right? Just to sit down with my pals and solve some problems, right?
0: Yeah. Well, Brandon, I greatly appreciate you taking the time today. Where can folks find you on- online?
1: Um, me personally, you know, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, of course. So you find me, but uh, the company NetEnrich is netenrich.com. So just enriching your network, that's how it is. Um, Love to have conversations with everybody. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me and have me on the on the, on the cast. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I look forward to more of this and hopefully
0: eventually in person. <laughs> yeah, it'd be great to have a beer in person and talk about these problems, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would love that. All right, Brandon. Well, I'll be sure to put links to where people can find you online uh, in the show notes. And again, thank you so much for taking the time for the conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today on Cybersecurity Interviews. I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Please go to cybersecurityinterviews.com, where you can find every episode, including show notes and links for each guest. There you can also find social media links and to sign up for new episode notifications. Thanks. We'll talk soon.